Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk some hoops uh, during the next few minutes. We're going to have Rich Hollenberg from ESPN with us shortly. Kevin Ingram alongside Chris Dorch. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, man, you know, just a few things here and there. Uh, some craziness, uh, as always, but really enjoying the basketball that I've seen so far. We were talking off the air. Uh, we've both seen so many games that they're starting to blend in together. <laughs> But it's good to be back out. I've actually been to see two games live, which is two more than I saw all of last year uh, during the height of the pandemic. And uh, God willing, and that new variant stays away, I would like to see a whole season for a change. Yeah, same here. I've been able to uh, call quite a few games for Vanderbilt and uh, even got uh, on a road trip here in the last few days. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's not bury the lead, okay? Let's go straight into the, the top story of the morning, and that is our guy, Chris Dorch, will be part of the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame. It was announced last week. Uh, I felt privileged to kind of be on the inside. I was one of the first people who uh, knew about this whole thing, and almost by accident a little bit, but... Um, the the induction ceremony will uh, take place in July over here in, in Lebanon, Tennessee, not far from where I live. And Chris, I cannot think of anyone who deserves that more. Uh, I, to be honest, I would have thought you're probably already in there, but uh, he is a Hall of Famer, the Tennessee Sports Writer Hall of Fame. Congratulations, well deserved, and and that's the the culmination of a lot of years of terrific work by you. Well, buddy, I, I really appreciate it. I I really appreciate the kind words you said after I texted you and. You had kind of gotten a, a little preview before I did be, because uh, Teresa Walker, who's the AP sports editor for Tennessee and also runs the selection committee for the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame, had contacted you. I thought she would have had my number because I've got <laughs> hers in my phone. Yeah. But uh, uh, you probably wondered why she, she wanted to get a hold of me. And uh, she texted me and said, do you have a headshot of yourself? And I said, yeah, why? <laughs> and she said, you're in the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame. And I thought that was really cool. I, I was, you know, if I'd have had a pair of socks on, I'm sure they would have been knocked off. <laughs> uh, it was it was great, a great feeling. And to me, what's really impressive, and you know I'm, I'm a student of an appreciator of history, uh, Grantland Rice is in there. And if you were to pick out a sports writer that is representative of our profession and, and maybe the most iconic and the most legendary, it would be Grantland Rice. And for me to be anywhere in the, in the neighborhood of Grantland Rice in that Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, uh, it's just a tremendous honor. And, and I would have never thought <laughs> – I was telling this to somebody yesterday uh, when I first, when I took sat down for the first day of my first job as a Tennessee sports writer, uh, my, uh, my boss, man, he, he was a handful and I, I wouldn't have thought that I could have lasted uh, much less get into the Tennessee sports writers hall of fame. So uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful to, that that the 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 selection committee saw fit to include me uh, another comment you hear a lot when hall of fames get mentioned is you don't know whether it's you've done well or you're just getting old but uh, <laughs> I, I would like to think uh you know th that it's a career well spent and yeah. it's certainly the last uh 
15 years have been spent with you working side by side and that has been as much fun as anything I've done. Well, the same goes for me too. And, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't have think of anyone better to uh, go into the Tennessee Sports Writers Hall of Fame. I was telling you also, a friend of mine I worked with in Kentucky uh, back, it's been quite a while back now, but we've remained friends over the years, a guy named Dan Modlin. Uh, he, he was, uh, in a lot of ways, my mentor in radio and, and, and learning journalism and reporting and those things. And uh, he, he is in the Kentucky Journalism Hall of Fame. And I told you the other day with you getting this honor, I, it made me feel like I've been in some really good company and I've learned a lot from a couple Hall of Famers over the uh, the course of my career. Work, worked with a, a few others, too. But uh, I was so happy for you. Really looking forward to uh, to being hopefully a part of the, the ceremony, which will be uh, coming up in July. And again, it's, it's close to home for me, so that'll be an easy one. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd drive wherever we got to take uh, take the crew to, to go see you go into the Hall of Fame. And uh, the, the cool thing, too, I was thinking about this also, when you sign your autographs now, you can sign it Chris Dorch, HOF 22, like when you're signing your 8x10 glossies, you know, to go out and, and, and then you slip those into the envelope with blue ribbon when you send them out in the fall. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I tell you, it's a, it's, it's a great honor. I've said it probably eight times already now, but uh, in the course of this podcast, but I just, it means a lot to me because of who's in it. Yeah. Uh, and, and who has come before me. There's been a lot of great journalists, uh, in the state of Tennessee, uh, and I just – I'm thankful to be a part of it. As for the games we've seen, we mentioned earlier we have seen a whole bunch of them. We should mention, too, that Rich Hollenberg from ESPN is coming up shortly here on this week's edition of the podcast. You know, Chris, you remember – and you've written for Sports Illustrated over the years. Remember the old SI cover jinx where somebody would get their, their photo on the cover of Sports Illustrated and then all of a sudden something bad would happen, they lose or there'd be an injury or something like that? Well, there is no oh, yeah. such thing – for Blue Ribbon. Coach K was on the cover of Blue Ribbon. Duke is off to a great start. They're number one. They beat Gonzaga the other night, 84-81, in a top-five matchup out in Vegas. Uh, that was a really cool game to watch, by the way. Uh, all, you know, They had a bunch of stars out there sitting on the front row. You had a huge crowd. It was really electric atmosphere. Paulo Bencaro scored 21. He really had a great first half. Mark Williams was great on both ends uh, defensively, too. They only had eight turnovers as a team, Duke did. Uh, Strother had 20-10 and 10 for the Zags. But that was their first regular season loss in two years since the 2019-2020 season. Both teams are really good. Might see this matchup uh, again in the Final Four down the road. I don't think there's any question. We'll see these two mix it up again. I said this on our last show before the holiday. I think Duke has a team that could give Coach K a lovely parting gift uh, for his long career. Obviously, he's hanging it up after this season, but you know, Paul Banchero is playing like everybody thought he would, but I think Mark Williams is really, you know, he's seven one and and two sixty five. He's a big presence in there that really, I think, gives Duke a, an opportunity to play the kind of pressure defense that they have been known for. Because if they get into passing lanes, well, they can do that uh, without hesitation. Because if they lunge for a a ball and miss you got Mark Williams sitting back there and, and Ben Cheryl sitting back there. And I, I don't want to be remiss in not mentioning Wendell Moore. He's already had one triple double this year, 19, 10 and 10 against army, but against Gonzaga, he goes for 20, uh, six assists and six boards. So, you know, he's one of the best all around players in the country uh, having his best season. 
And again, Trevor Keels, another freshman that uh, I don't think a, a lot of people thought he would have quite the impact. He didn't shoot it well against Gonzaga, but played 38 minutes and got six boards and six assists uh, and a block and a steal. So, uh, you know, I, I think they've got Coach K, even in the best of times, yeah. uh, in his national championship season, has never played a bunch of guys. So uh, I, he just played eight against Gonzaga. So that's probably that rotation is probably the way it's going to be. So if they don't get, uh, you know, bad luck with foul trouble or injuries, this is a team that could go all the way. Thank you, Howard. Uh, top 25 this week from the AP, by the way. Uh, Duke, Purdue, Gonzaga, Baylor, UCLA. Rest of the top 10, Villanova, Texas, Kansas, Kentucky, and Arkansas. Saw a note this morning. Duke has 127 weeks at number one under Coach K. That's 127 of the 145 weeks that Duke has been ranked number one in the history of their program. So that tells you the uh, impact that guy has had over the course of, of four decades. Uh, what did I ask you about, Purdue? Uh, up to number two in the polls, they've had a, a nice little stretch here, too. They beat North Carolina and Villanova on back-to-back days. The crazy thing about Purdue uh, Travion Williams, the 6'10", 255-pound senior who was first team all Big Ten last year, he was one of only six players and the only high major player to average 15, nine boards and two assists. He is not starting. Hmm. Uh, Zach Eady, who, who, the sophomore, who's a massive human being at 7'3", with a 7'7", wingspan, he weighs 295, he has a size 20 shoe, just an immovable object in the post. Uh, he knows where his bread is buttered. He doesn't try to shoot jumpers. He's a post threat. And Caleb First, a 6'10", 230-pound freshman, is is starting. So Travion Williams is coming off the bench. So that shows you what a, a post triumvirate. I don't know that anybody in the country can match that. And then they've got two other double-figure scores, and, and they're shooting 43% from three. They're number two in the country in effective field goal percentage, number three in two-point percentage, making almost 61% of those shots. This is a team that's constructed to go a long way. I want to ask you, too, about the uh, the games in Orlando that uh, we saw over the last few days around Thanksgiving. Dayton ended up winning that tournament, that ESPN events tournament, uh, but to get there was really a thriller, too, as Dayton beat Kansas 74-73 on a buzzer beater. Uh, the Flyers then held off Belmont to uh, win the tournament. But who saw Dayton winning that thing? They had lost to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin P all at home. They were down by 10 and a half time against Kansas. They went on a 16-1 to run to go in front. And then the crazy finish, Belmont for Casey Alexander had a couple really nice wins over Drake. Uh, Nick Musinski was just dealing in that game. Then they beat Iona after the Gales had upset Alabama. Belmont had a chance to win that game at Dayton at the end after missing a free throw on purpose, but uh, it, it didn't uh, turn out that way. I think there's a, a turnover there after that free throw, but uh, that was really an interesting tournament. I had a little extra interest in it in that Belmont was playing there, and of course that's uh, the, the program I've worked with for a number of years and pulling for the Bruins there, but yeah, Dayton com- comes out on the winning end, and I always say sometimes in tournament situations, the toughest games you, you don't end up playing. Uh, sometimes somebody takes care of uh, business for you, and you end up with maybe a little easier path than you had hoped for. But um, yeah, well, that was a, a 3-0 and week for Dayton and a 2-1 uh, and trip to Orlando for Belmont. I would say both those programs will take those outcomes. No question. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't the, 
the final that that I think ESPN was hoping for. Uh, you get um, Iona knocks out Alabama, and of course, what you said, Dayton beat Kansas. But it's incredible. I, I'm, I'm writing a little bit about this in our newsletter, how to turn around a season that was headed toward the crapper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you lose three uh, bye games. And, and, and have you have you covered a game in the UD arena? I have, yeah. You have, yep, yep. That, that, that is a great place and a great atmosphere. And you would never think that Dayton would lose to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin P. Back to back to back, and then they go down to ESPN in, in Orlando, and their first opponent is a, is a tough Miami team, which they beat by 16. And then, as you said, they they rallied and beat Kansas at the buzzer. And then that Belmont game could have gone either way. But so kudos to Anthony Grant. Uh, I've always thought he was a solid coach. Uh, you're not going to get a lot of quotes out of him. Uh, he's just a quiet guy, but but uh, his players love him and play hard for him and. Dayton's just a historically good program. So they got a good winner down there, but probably not the winner they expected. Yeah, he's, he was fired up after that Kansas game. I saw the interview that he did, and it, it was fun to hear Dick Vitale on the call, You know, especially to hear Dick Vitale calling a Belmont game with John Shambi, I, I thought was really, really neat uh, there in that final on Sunday. You, you mentioned Dayton's gym, the UD Arena, and, it, and it's been there a long time. Uh, I, I've... It's funny, I, I've been and worked games there, but there was a giant gap in years between the times I was there. I went there in 1995 for the first time when Western Kentucky, uh, my alma mater, was playing in the tournament. I saw Western beat Michigan in overtime, which that game actually marked the end of the last two remaining players as part of the Fab Five, Ray Jackson Jimmy King. They were on that Michigan team. Western ended up winning that game uh, against Michigan. Then they played very close against Kansas in the next round and lost by five points. And then many years later, in 2019, I went there for the first four with Belmont. And uh, that was the year that Belmont got the at-large bid, ended up in the first four against Temple. Uh, we went up there. We we go to Selection Sunday thinking, well, we're probably going to end up in the NIT and uh, you know, kind of hoping for the best. And next thing you know, you're in the uh, first four game. We're on our way to Dayton, beat Temple. And then uh, a few hours later, you're on a plane, end up in Jacksonville. Triple spillage happens, played in Maryland and all that stuff, all, all right there in that same week. But, you know, it and a, and a big gap between years, I've been to that UD arena. I think we went there maybe once to practice uh, somewhere in between. But that is a great venue. They love basketball up there. Even for those first four games, you had a, a packed house and, and really no rooting interest for a lot of those fans. They were just there because they love basketball. And that's, that's one thing you appreciate it as a college basketball fan. Man, I, I loved my the, the times I've been up there. I think the last time was in 2009. Pitt was the number one seed, and they were playing my alma mater, East Tennessee State, which gave, gave them headaches. But what I really remember about a, the legendary basketball writer from the Boston Globe, Bob Ryan, and I were pool reporters, which meant that if something went down, controversy or whatever, and somebody had to interview the refs, it was either Bob or, or me. Yeah. And I remember joking with Bob. We we're just saying, wow, please don't let anything happen. We, we just want to, we're just here to watch ball. But uh, yeah, uh, Dayton, that arena is, is kind of what, uh, I don't know. I've always thought this about Georgia's arena too, about what in the sixties, what they might've thought uh, the future would look like, right? Uh, like the Jetsons or something, <laughs> you know, uh, how they look, uh, uh, aesthetically, but to me, that's cool. I, it's the other thing I remember is 
there there is a steep embankment to get from the floor up to the media room at UD Arena. Uh, you got to be in good shape to make that, John. Yes, and I will tell you that has not changed. That, I remembered that too from going there years ago, and then when we were there in 2019, you know, hauling the equipment case up and down uh, that, that ramp. Uh, I, I guess my days spent on the hill at Western Kentucky uh, were good training for that one. But yeah, that it, it's a really cool venue, and um, it, it's always fun to go there. Chris, we are joined by Rich Hollenberg, outstanding play-by-play announcer for ESPN and has been for many years. Always appreciate him uh, spending a few minutes with us and talking some hoops. Rich, how's it going, man? It's great. It's good to be with you guys again. That means it's our favorite time of year, right? College hoop season. Uh, that's exactly right. And I remember last uh, year you were telling us about the ordeal. I think you, you went to the Sanford Pentagon uh, for your first uh, – tilts of the season and this year um i was telling kevin i I watched a lot of your work already but you've had a couple of cool gigs right out of the box the charleston classic and the nit uh tell us about those road trips and who's the best team you saw wow well um i'll start with the first part of that question chris excuse me uh the being back on the road and it's not like I wasn't on the road last year at all. There were select games. I would say one-third of my games were remote games like usual, and then the other two-thirds were from my living room. Um, but there is just a renewed sense of energy and enthusiasm in these buildings that I've been lucky enough to be in. And uh, it, it's great because, listen, you know, I, I don't consider myself old just yet. I turned 50 this summer. But I don't consider myself old just yet. Um, I felt like a kid again. It, you know, every time I put the headsets on and sit at courtside to call a game, I always have that excitement, like it's my yeah. first game calling. Uh, yeah. But this time it was, it was something special. I'm not going to lie to you. And surprisingly enough, looking at the slate of games that I called, there would be two teams that would come to mind who I would say are the best teams that I've seen so far. I called uh, St. Bonaventure winning the Charleston Classic. So they were really impressive. And they're kind of like, you know, maybe not this year, but over the scope of the last 10 years or so, they're a unicorn. They have five seniors and five returning starting seniors to their team. And Mark Schmidt's got that team in the top 20, although they took a close loss to UNI just recently. So I would say that was the best team. And then they Mm -hmm. lost to Northern Iowa. Then I would say I was in Brooklyn and I got to see number nine Memphis and man, what a dynamo they are, but they did not look very good at all. And, and, you know, I uh, talking about someone, you know, who's in the Tennessee sports writers hall of fame, Chris, I I know, you know, a lot about the Memphis tigers, but I will say this, they are the epitome of a work in progress. I mean, defensively, you're not going to see many more ferocious teams on the defensive end. They have length at every position. They're aggressive. Penny Hardaway has really put his stamp on that program with his defense. But offensively, they are a mess at times, in large part due to the fact that they don't really have a true point guard. And they're trying to get Imani Bates to play point, and he's 17 years old playing a brand-new position, let alone – arguably the most important position on the floor for them. So they are definitely a work in progress. 
I think by the end of the year, once they get it ironed out offensively, they'll be dangerous to anybody they face. But right now they're committing 20 turnovers a game. You're just not going to win a lot of ball games when you're committing 20 turnovers a game. So going back to your question, who's the best team I've seen? Shockingly enough, I would say it's the Iowa State Cyclones, mm-hmm. yeah. which I never thought I'd be saying two weeks <laughs> into the season. No. Yeah, yeah Iowa that's, State uh, that's well, awesome. they beat Memphis uh, 78-59, I should say, in the uh, the finals of the NIT tip-off. And, and, and as Rich was saying, Memphis turned it over 22 times. Uh, Cyclones 42-34 on the glass. And, you know, you, Rich, you, you talk about Memphis, though, and, and guys trying to find their way. I mean, some of that's just young guys being young guys, isn't it? You know, when, when you watch that team with, with so much in terms of expectations really put on the shoulders of these, uh, these, these teenage players. It is. And you know what? This year you would think there would be a little more of a buffer because mm-hmm. every team is older. College basketball is older. You know, I'm making up my boards for the next handful of games I have in December and I'm writing super senior and grad transfer more than I ever have because of COVID and the NCAA allowing everybody an extra year of basketball. So everybody kind of benefits from that, except Mm -hmm. maybe some of the younger, you know, not blue chip players who are going to be forced to sit on the bench when maybe they'd be getting a little more playing time. Uh, But if you are one of these one and done caliber players like Jalen Duran is, like Amani Bates will be, even though he's going to have to play more than a year um, at Memphis, considering he's 17 years old, unless he jumps ship and goes to the G League or something like that. I, I just think that there is a tremendous amount of pressure because the precedent has been set for these kids. You know, I want to be Zion Williamson, you know, you, and the list goes on and on and on. We, 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 you know, we know the names of all these players and yet, when you think of all the players who leave school early, especially after their freshman year, and then you mark their success in the NBA, it's not like everybody is a Zion Williamson. You know, uh, Jalen Duran's not going to go in into the NBA next year and dominate like Zion was able to. Zion was a unicorn in that sense. Jalen Duran has got a lot to learn. So, yes, he'll be a top five pick, but that's on the futures market. Right. So he'll spend a couple of seasons learning and and training and getting better by watching the players ahead of him on an NBA bench. But those type of players I struggle with because I'm so old school when it comes to that. I wish everybody had to stay at least three years. Um, You know, I, I just think that everybody benefits college basketball benefits. I think for the most part, these young men would benefit from that, from that coaching and development and there are schools that set that precedent and show that, you know, Scott drew is a national championship team now. And the Baylor bears are case in point of, if you stay within our program, we will get you better. We will develop you and we will make you ready for the next level. And now that's bearing its fruit. I mean, they have guys playing in the NBA now, and I I, I'm hoping that maybe that's going to be a little more of a trend in the coming years. You'll always have your one and dones and your blue chippers, but I'm hoping that the trend will stay that basketball is going to be a little more veteran than it has been. Rich, another team you saw in Charleston was Marquette. And after Shaka Smart left Texas, I texted a bunch of his assistants who I've gotten to know over the years. And I said, what do you think? And they said to a man, 
I think he'll be much more comfortable. Uh, what do you think after talking to him and seeing them play? I think they were undefeated coming into Charleston, right? They were. And, Chris, you you hit the nail on the head. It, it feels like such a better fit. And I could say this now, and we talked about it on the air anytime. I've covered the Big 12 basically for the entire tenure of Shaka's career at, at Texas. And you always got that feeling. Like, it, it's, it's not like he's not a good enough coach to change the way that he likes to play. But you're not going to go to – any school and be able to create havoc like he did so successfully at VCU. But when you get to a school like Texas and the expectations are so outsized and you're forced in some ways, as strange as it sounds to recruit these blue chip five-star prospects who aren't used to playing that kind of defensive uh, basketball. And they're more focused on their offensive game. And they're also much more entitled than maybe the four-star and the three-star recruits that he was getting at VCU are, you're going to have a hard time blending those two personnel and the type of basketball you want to play. Now he's in Marquette. It's a basketball only school, right? Basketball is God in Milwaukee and at Marquette. And I think he's going to be able to recruit the players that he needs to play that brand of basketball. It's not going to be havoc, but we're already seeing full court pressure on makes three quarter court pressure off misses. Um, And I think he's much more comfortable playing that style of basketball. And they're a fun team. I think they're going to be a a problem in the big East. Put it this way, guys, if they are the ninth best team in Mm -hmm. the big East, like they were predicted in the preseason, then the big East is a really good league this year. We're visiting with Rich Hollenberg, outstanding commentator for ESPN, uh, kind enough to join us for a few minutes here. Uh, seeing your, your Tampa Bay Rays shirt reminded me that a guy that you see at a lot of Tampa Bay Rays games, Dick Vitale, uh, has been back on the mic here in, the, in just the last few days. I know he's going through uh, his own uh, battle with cancer, and that's something that he's raised a lot of awareness, a lot of money for cancer research. How cool is it to see that guy back, You know, just especially knowing how much he loves the game and his role really in growing college basketball over the last 40 years yeah you know what kevin it it, i mentioned at the beginning of our conversation how i felt like a kid again doing my first games this year back in a packed gym um you know things getting back to normal you could that that's oozing out of the pores of dick vital and it's just so fun to watch and experience and i am truly blessed to call dick a friend of mine now after idolizing him as a teenager and younger than that growing up, he's the reason I say this all the time when I have conversations like this, he's the reason I fell in love with college basketball. Um, I still remember reading his book when I was a, you know, a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to see him in all his glory, celebrating his health, celebrating the game he loves um, it, it's nothing but uh, a great feeling for everybody who is in his satellite and sphere and solar system, if you will. And uh, I only hope that the good news keeps coming because right now, from what his doctors are saying, everything is trending in the right direction for Dick. Rich, what you said uh, really struck a chord for me because I was thinking the other day, I, I texted Dick after his news and uh like you, I've gotten to become friends with him, and, and, and he's so genuine. And 
and so decent a human being. But I don't know if it can be overstated, his influence on the college game, because when he took the mic for ESPN, a fledgling ESPN back in the early 80s, Blue Ribbon started that very same time. I don't think we have that much to do with it, but but college basketball has grown exponentially. And I think Dick Vitale and ESPN have led the charge. I don't think there's any way you can overstate that. No. Uh, you know, when you talk about the marriage of college basketball and television, you can literally funnel it down to that very first college basketball game on ESPN. And Dick Vitale was on the call. <laughs> now, yeah. listen, basketball, college basketball existed on TV well before that. I mean, we all probably were all of the age where we Saturday. remember 1979 with Irvin Magic Johnson in Michigan State taking on Larry Bird and Indiana State. I remember Brian Gumble was the, the pregame host of that, and Dick Enberg <laughs> called that game. So b- basketball was healthy and existed and on an upward trajectory well before Dick took that microphone for ESPN. But when that happened, that was a flashpoint for the sport and for the network. And, you know, it continues to this day. There are thousands of games that ESPN Network covers uh, across the basketball landscape. And now it's not only men's, it's the women's game as well, which is fantastic. And while I'm not kidding myself, uh, you know, college football is king when it comes to television and ratings and revenue and all that. But you can make the argument, guys, that the lifeblood, the the soul, if you will, of ESPN is college basketball because it's so much content across yeah. so many months of the season. You know, you have college football and you start in September and you're done in the beginning of January. Well, college basketball, you're starting in essentially November – and you're taking it all the way through March. You know, it's a much longer season. There's much more inventory. So ESPN couldn't exist without college basketball because of that. And, uh, you know, this is my 13th year with them. And I'm, I've am i never been prouder to be part of that family. And in what, whatever small way I do uh, make my contributions, uh, I'm just glad that I am making those contributions because – uh, going back to Dickie V, you know, I fell in love with it as a 13-year-old, and now I get to talk about it from the best seat in the house. Couldn't get much better than that. ESPN's Rich Hollenberg is our guest. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about a, a new venture you have going on. Uh, RichHollenberg.com is the website, and I, I can really appreciate this. You, you mentioned earlier you had a 50th birthday. I, I did as well here not long ago. and you, you kind of appreciate when you get a little deeper in your career, sort of paying it forward and trying to help young people uh, uh, along the way and, and demonstrate to them the love that you have for the job and, and for the career, and, and hopefully that they gain that too. But but tell us about what you have going on and, and how you're helping young people in their broadcasting careers. Well, Kevin, first off, happy birthday. Welcome to the club. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, uh, thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, um, you know, to use your words, because I say it all the time, um, paying it forward is something that is really important to me. And... Um, you know, I know both of you do it, Chris. I know you do it with your classwork. Um, I'm just a fan of talking about our industry. And so why not take that time to 
scratch the itch of being able to talk to aspiring sportscasters and hopefully teach them something, hopefully inspire them in some way, and also do it in a format where I could reach more people than speaking one-on-one to people like I've done for the past couple of years. That's If there's one good thing that the pandemic showed me, it's the power of communicating with these students and the impact that you can have on them. Uh, I started doing it uh, on a regular basis during the pandemic because I had a lot more time on my hands and realized that I loved doing it. When I made out my list of goals for my lifetime, and Lou Holtz was the guy who inspired me to do it, believe it or not, Hmm. he preaches, write a list of 100 things you want to accomplish before you die. And I got up to like in the 60s. And by then it was like, you know, uh, this is as a 20 something year old. I was like, uh, I want a dog and I, I want to get married. And I'm like, I don't think anyone else was talking about <laughs> but I, I was kind of, you know, I was already at the end of my list. But one of the things I, one of the things I put on my list guys was I want to teach. I've always, I've always embraced that idea. I've always thought it's one of the most noble professions you could have. This is my way of giving back. This is my way of checking that box on my list of goals. I want to teach. And short of being in a classroom and being a professor or even an adjunct professor, this is uh, my my way of trying to accomplish that. So we have our first program launching in January. I'm taking people signing up right now through the website you mentioned, which is just my name, richhollenberg.com. Anybody listening, if you know someone who's an aspiring sportscaster or journalist, check it out. Maybe it's for you. Maybe you'll find it interesting. I'm really looking forward to doing it because uh, it's a labor of love more than anything. Rich, always great to have you with us, and I'll spare you my Lou Holtz impersonation uh, this time. And uh, hope you have a a great day and uh, safe travels uh, wherever you're headed next, and uh, hope we can catch up with you again down the road. Fellas, it's always fun talking college troops. We appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. That was Rich Hollenberg, who is outstanding ESPN play-by-play announcer. Uh, he's been there uh, more than a decade. And, again, his website, richhollenberg.com, for uh, aspiring sportscasters. Check that out. Well, Chris, uh, it, it's been fun over these last couple weeks to see the uh, the season get launched. And, uh, you know, I, I know both of us have been excited just to get back in gyms and see games again. Yeah, I, I got to see a game uh, uh, November 14th and, again, last Saturday. Uh, both uh, the the first game wasn't that competitive, but the second one I saw really was. And, and so, yeah, you know, sort of like a, a kid at Christmas, but I know that you got to be, uh, you took a, like rich, uh, got a real road trip under your belt already and went to the, to the steel city. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, I went to uh, Pittsburgh last week with Vanderbilt, and I, I'd been on football trips, and I've been on a few baseball trips. This is the first basketball trip I've been on since the 2020 OVC Championship, uh, since Belmont played wow. Murray uh, back in March of 2020, and that was right before everything shut down. But it, it was fun to go back on the road, and uh, it was the first time I traveled with Vanderbilt. I did the games last season, but we did all the road games remotely. But, yeah, we played at Pittsburgh last Wednesday night, and uh, Vanderbilt played a really nice second half. Trey Thomas got hot from three, and, and Vanderbilt ended up winning the game. And uh, that is a beautiful gym, the, the Peterson Event Center. 
Uh, it was less than a capacity crowd with a 9 o'clock Eastern time start in the night before Thanksgiving, but it, it's really, really a nice place to go play. I'd been there once before uh, a few years back. But uh, along the way, I, I also made a couple other stops in Pittsburgh. Uh, on Tuesday when we got there, I went down and saw some family that live uh, a little south of, of downtown. And then on Wednesday, my friend Jeff Miller, who is uh, the, the head of sales for Learfield with Vanderbilt, and has been a really good friend for many years, he and I went to a, uh, a a used record store, which is in the Squirrel oh, Hill neighborhood. Oh my god! And, and I thought of you when I was there because this would have been right up your alley. I mean, there was vinyl as far as the eyes oh. can see. Um, all awesome. these great, great albums. We we looked through records for probably half an hour, and uh, he came home with a few, and and I bought one as well. And they didn't just have music; uh, they they had all sorts of old radio shows and and like years in in review and and comedy albums and all sorts of things. And one thing I stumbled across that I actually ended up coming home with was a uh, an album that was a recap of the Reds' 1975 World Series season narrated by Marty Brenneman, who's the, the legendary voice oh, of the awesome Reds. For so you. I bought yeah. that for like $7, and I brought it home, and I, I played it on my, uh, my little record player here at home. But it, it was a really neat store. I thought of you. You would have loved it. Uh, that would have been uh, something that you would have probably uh, spent uh, more time than we did in, in there. But it was a fun trip. Uh, came back home with a win, and uh, just glad to be back on the road. I'll actually be traveling again this week. We uh, head to Dallas and play at SMU on Saturday, so that that'll be. I'll be adding a, a new gym to my collection, so I'll give you a review on that one next time we talk. Well, t- uh, say hello to my buddy Tim Jankovic, uh, the yep. SMU coach. You probably remember him from Vanderbilt. I right? do. Yeah, he was part assistant. of the. Yeah, he was assistant with Kevin Stallings uh, a few years back. So yeah, looking forward to that. Well, Chris, uh, we'll do it again next week. Uh, always a lot of fun to do our podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the hoops, my man. All right, buddy. Safe travels. He's the Hall of Famer, Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. We'll talk to you next time on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.